Hello, and welcome to an extremely, extremely special episode of Michael and Mom Talk Cancer. I am your official host, Michael Kramer, and... I'm Ashley, but I am Michael's mom, and I'm totally fangirling right now because we have Matt Odie here, and I am just... I've heard about you, I've listened to podcasts with you, I've been on your Facebook page, and you are... You're amazing. You're such an inspiration. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. You guys are an inspiration to me as well. I've been following you, Michael, on TikTok for a while, and uh, you guys are incredible, too. So I love the introduction. Thank you. And uh, No, that just... wasn't enough. Like, I want to say a million things. I know, yeah. But, but I want you to say them. That's like I prob- We probably should have prepared yeah. like this introduction, but I think just everyone yeah. knowing that I'm fangirling... <laughs> That's like your intro right yeah, there, so dude. I just realized. <laughs> Literally, that was an incredible intro, honestly. <laughs> I love the energy right now. This is incredible. I know. Great, great podcast. We're pretty energetic. Oh, yeah. I can tell. And I knew, I knew from the start. So I was like, I'm, I'm relatively energetic, too. So it's like, it's going to go really, really well. I feel like there's going to be like, I don't know. It's just a good energy. So it's there's sparks flying here wait i do have to like say one other thing because of course people are not going to see this on february 14th but we are recording on valentine's day and i was like hmm he just got married (laughs) is his wife okay with this oh she yeah she loves it she's out and i wish i could have had her join too but like she's she's at work she's doing like some errands and stuff but yeah we're we're gonna go to dinner tonight and um you know just enjoy enjoy the night so it'll be good and then she turns 30 um in a couple of weeks so i have a little surprise for her but uh she doesn't know really what the surprise is of course yet so it'll be a fun time i love it your first valentine's day as a married guy right it is yeah i know nice Nice. i was married life i'm like listen we were we lived together for three years before we were married um we went through of course this whole cancer journey which we'll talk about together yeah we went through the hard stuff already so um this is like a, a, a you know walk in the park. Yes, because that's what we're gonna get into. I don't know. I feel like I cut you off, Michael. Did you want to say something yeah. before? Yeah, I just wanted to say I've been following you on TikTok. I just realized I've been following you on TikTok, and then when I heard that the name Matt Odie, I was like, that sounds so familiar. Anyways, I've been following you for I think like a year and a half, maybe even yeah. two years at this point, and I was so inspired by your journey when I first started following you. So. I follow you, I saw all the TikToks. Could you explain to us like just the beginning of your story, when you noticed your first symptoms and what you were diagnosed with initially? Yeah, yeah I mean it's it's long. We know uh, we know it's long. We know and we kinda know the story, but we want everyone else to know. Yeah, we both have of course incredibly long and impactful stories. But um yeah, of course, absolutely. So of course, thing is Valentine's Day. I'd love to start off when me and Lauren met because it's actually really cool how it can tie back around when we, you know, kind of finish the story too. So we met on St. Patrick's Day of 2016. So I was 24 years old at the time. Super healthy, um, personal trainer, working out five, six days a week. You know, and um, you know, we we met on St. Patrick's Day. Started talking, started dating in the summer, and we started doing all these summer activities. You know, going hiking, kayaking, all these fun things as you know, just a newly couple. And then the first symptom that occurred, so, um, was actually back pain. And, um, for anybody who doesn't know, I am a stage three C testicular cancer survivor. So one of the most common symptoms as a testicular, um, you know, patient or survivor is, um, you know, testicular form in your testicle. So for me, that would be what I would thought was the first thing that was happening, but actually I never actually had a symptom in my testicle. So what had happened was I started to get these back pains throughout the summer. And of course I'm lifting five, six days a week. So I'm like, okay, it's probably just a lifting. I'll shrug it off. And of course at 24 years old, you think you're, you know, you're invincible, you know, Michael, you know, you're in your twenties and you know, before any of this happened, you're like, this will never happen to me. And you, you know, I know you're an active person as well. So um, as the summer kept going on and on and on, it got to the point where I couldn't do almost anything. I was just bedridden. I was too stubborn to go to the doctor. And all of a sudden one night I woke up and I was over Lawrence and I ended up puking up blood and I got rushed to the ER found out that I had lost two thirds of the blood circulating in my body. Did, did Lauren, did Lauren take you to the ER? So here's the story. So at first I didn't want to go. 
ended up going home. I'm not even kidding you. I ended up going home that day. My dad's like, you have no option. I'm taking you to the ER. Okay. He's like, you, yeah. Okay. So I thought it was like food poisoning or something. I was so stubborn. I was like the most stubborn 24-year-old you could ever think of. So he gets rushed. To, he rushes me to the ER. That's when they found out I'd lost two-thirds of the blood circulating in my body immediately. From throwing up? From throwing up? You'd lost Throwing up and... Like I had like some bowel movements like it, the past couple of days that were I guess like somewhat bloody but like wasn't okay. like anything that I kind of was like I felt I didn't feel like I was like oh this is like super abnormal. I mean of course it's abnormal but I didn't feel like it was anything that was like life changing but then of right. course that night when I did that that was like that moment where I was like okay I could barely walk I could barely stand so my my um hemoglobin was under five which is so low yeah so they're like yeah. I don't know how you're walking i don't even know how you're awake right now so your hemoglobin for anybody who doesn't know should be generally at around 15 so i was literally yeah. at that point where i could have passed out at any moment so they gave me six bags yeah. of blood immediately that day um then that night they're like okay we need to figure out what's causing the bleeding they thought it was an ulcer so like we're gonna go and take you into an emergency surgery just to, because we need to figure this thing out <clears throat> so go into that surgery that night wake up the next morning it's just me and my parents lauren's at work you know just expecting to go home and i'm like in the recovery room and all of a sudden my doctor he just walks in and he has this blank stare in his eyes and Right then and there. We've I seen knew. that stare. Yeah, I knew. We, we, we've you seen know, that stare. It's not a good stare. You know that. Like, no. Okay, what's the news? Just just give it to me. And um, so he said, he comes over, he sits down, and I can just tell it was hard for him to say this, but he goes, Matt, we found an 11-centimeter tumor in your small intestine. We know it is cancerous, but we don't know exactly what the cancer it is right away. Yeah, so that was the whole diagnosis. That was the whole thing of just like one day – you know, you're thinking food poisoning and all these things, but like you never would tie any of these symptoms to like cancer or anything like that, especially in your yeah. 20s. And now, okay, I have cancer and I'm fighting for my life. And, and Michael, I, I know you can, you know, completely relate to that too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That, 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 and when you started with, you said back pain, 24 yes. year old with back pain working out in the gym, like his brother works out in the gym, so always like my back hurts. I mean, of course you wouldn't think anything. No. Oh my, and that was like 24 hours. So basically. yeah, what was causing the back pain from what they told me was the tumor was growing so big that it was hitting nerves in my back. And wow. that's what was causing such pain for me to where I could barely even walk. His dad, actually, when he was diagnosed, the reason he went in as well, he was having back pain. Um, I don't know if you know, but Michael's dad, my husband died of large B cell lymphoma. And basically, it was over the summer, he was feeling back pain, went to a chiropractor. He's like, the chiropractor made it worse, ended yeah, up going I in. Chiropractor too. I swear, yeah. I didn't put in there, oh but I God. did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we never thought it was, he really didn't have a lot of other symptoms. Ended up going in, getting an MRI, and they they were like, oh, there's a tumor. And from there, it was just 24 hours, and he was in chemo, and yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't, we didn't mean to stop you, but the blank stare that also, that was literally like Michael, it was so similar. He went in for a blood test. The doctor was like, I, I joke because it was COVID. So he was wearing a mask. And I always say he was like the twinkly eyed doctor. He still is. He's like this doctor that when he's wearing, like you just see his twinkle in his eyes. And when he came in the room after Michael's biopsy, there was like, there was no twinkle. Yeah. It was, you know, it was so obvious from his demeanor and from his eyes that there was something. And that is when we knew there was something wrong. But okay, keep going. Oh, no, you're good. I'm just, yeah. I'm just relating would, to you so much. Oh, no, 100%. I'm sure a lot of this stuff can be extremely relatable. And I would say the next yes. thing I want to talk about is like the, the mental aspect of it, like just receiving the news. Because um, like when I received that news, I was kind of like, I didn't, I was emotionless. I don't know how to explain it, but I, I didn't, I wasn't like anxious, but I also wasn't like, I didn't think I was going to die or anything like that, but I was like, almost I felt like, the same way, like the same way. It was hard to process it. I didn't have any emotions. It was just happening. Like I completely was, understand that. Yeah. And for me, I almost felt like instead of me focusing on myself, I was like, okay, how I, I'm looking over my parents who are crying at the time and I'm like, how do I stay strong for them? Not me. I'm not like, I'm not even worried about myself right now. It's yeah. so hard. I'm like, I have to give this news to my 
um, girlfriend, of course, now wife, Lauren, who's been dating me for three months, like to give her this burden in news. And then I have to try and, you know, with my parents over there, try to calm them down. And like, I'm feeling like I can't even focus on myself because I'm holding in all of my emotions because I, I don't yeah. like use them, Michael. You don't even, it's hard to comprehend it at that moment. And um, so eventually um, they take me from my local hospital to the Cleveland Clinic, which is, um, okay. for anybody who doesn't know, it is, it's one of the biggest hospitals, um, you know, in the, in the country. So it, I wasn't very, very good hands. I'm, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, by the way. So it was very lucky of me or fortunate for me to be able to go there. So that is when they did a bunch of tests. Found out that I had stage three C testicular cancer. So stage three C testicular cancer, you can basically say it's stage four. They don't they don't have a stage four testicular cancer, I guess, from what my oncologist said. But to put it in perspective, so I had the highest stage of testicular cancer. They track what's called my AFP markers. I don't know if you know anything about AFP, but basically it's a tumor marker that for most males should be under five. And when they did that tumor marker, I was close to over 100,000. So I was off the charts. Like, that's how much my cancer had spread. It was, you know, pretty much everywhere, but luckily not in my brain. They did an MRI in my brain, and that was, like, one of the few places, very, very luckily, that it did not, um, you know, kind of form. But talking about the mental part of it, I started to have friends and family kind of flooding in and still kind of emotionless about all this. And then all of a sudden, Lauren kind of, she just arrives and man, like I have this like wave of like scarcity, but also like kind of like letting my guard down finally, because when she arrived, like, I, I guess this is ironic because it's Valentine's Day, but like, it's just like the love that we were able to kind of share in that moment of her, like basically telling me I'm going to be here for you throughout this journey. Um, allowed me to, I don't know what it was, but just allowed me to just let go of so much of what I was feeling. And that in that moment, I could then finally say, okay, what do I have to do next? So this is what I would tell a lot of, you know, especially men out there. We're not great at sharing our emotions a lot of the time. When you can finally express it, when you can finally express it, then you can finally take all the baggage off and then say, what can I do next to heal myself? Because in order to be selfless for others, you must be selfish for yourself first. Meaning you have to take care of yourself first. Wait, wait, wait. You have to say that again. Yes. Yeah, repeat that. You we have love to say that, that again. I love that. In order love to that you be just said that. selfless for others, you must be selfish first. And it's not in a, a negative way. It's selfish no. in taking care of you first. How are you ever going to help or impact or inspire other people if you aren't doing the things that you need to do to take care of yourself first, that is what I've learned in life. So I was finally able to let my guard down and say, what do I need to do to heal myself? I knew right away when they diagnosed me, they were going to put me on chemo that day. I knew there was going to be a long journey ahead of me. And I could say, okay, what today? You know, it's called winning the day. It's a concept that I learned from an entrepreneur. His name's Andy Frisella, um, you know, right. and he has this concept just called winning the day. And that means that you focus on today what is one or two critical tasks that is going to help you heal or help you get to the ultimate goal. And that was obviously becoming cancer free for myself. Okay, already for the listeners, there's already been all these like nuggets of wisdom <laughs> that we love. Take care of yourself. Win the day. I love it. But you have so much, I don't know, Michael, did, did you want to say something about that? Because it is true. And even me as a caregiver, people always say like, oh my God, you're so strong. And I think that I'm sure you can relate to this. It's not even, you just like go into that mode of you just like have to do what you have to do. So anyone would be strong. I think it's not about being strong. It's just like, you just go. Yeah, I totally agree. So when you were going through chemo, how long did you do chemotherapy for? Yeah, so chemotherapy, I went on um, three drugs called bleomycin, atopicin, cisplatin. So it was, it's called BEP. Um, you know, I don't know if you know any of those types of drugs, but they're very, very potent. And for me, at right. just such a young age, they're like, we are going to throw the kitchen sink at you. Like, we are going to try to eliminate as much of this cancer as we can. We're going to shrink this tumor as quickly as possible. So I was on the chemotherapy for about three to three and a half months usually even the highest dosage they only put four rounds of but i ended up going on five rounds because like you're a healthy young you know young adult we're gonna see what we can do for you and um yeah man like of course like within a week i'm losing my hair super fatigued all the time um 
you know, chemo, you, you know, and, and Michael, obviously, you know, this, you know, chemo is, is absolutely no joke. It's a, it's more in my opinion, it, it, or just as much of a mental battle as it is a physical battle, because like on the days you can't even walk or get up and move, you have to mentally prepare yourself of like, okay, how am I going to, you know, the next day or whenever I start to feel better, just get myself up and do something today to, to better myself. And for me, you know, there's a lot of days where I felt like I wanted to quit. But you also know that at the end of the day, your journey isn't just about you. There are so many other people. When I realized that I was fighting cancer, not just for myself, but I was fighting cancer for my loved ones and everybody else that was, you know, there for me, it gave me an extra wire, gave me an extra reason to keep pushing forward. You know, in life, if everything is just about you, you're never going to have the motivation or the true um, inspiration to excel past a lot of those barriers in life. And for me, some of those barriers was number one, you know, I am very faith-based. Um, being a Christian um, has, has helped me through a ton. You know, I don't push faith on anybody, but just being a Christian has really helped me through a lot in, in that journey. Cause I think in the very beginning of any journey, um, even as having incredible caregivers, might be, you can probably relate this too. Um, you know, your mom, she did all she could to help you, but there's things that they just can't relate about. Where on the other end, as a caregiver, we can't relate to a lot of things that you guys are facing too. So it's a very lonely aspect of that journey. And for me, um, there was times where I just felt so lonely because I'm like, Lauren, my parents, my friends, they're doing everything they can, but they just can't relate in, in a lot of these aspects. So me being able to maybe talk to another cancer survivor or somebody who's gone through something really helped me in that aspect as well. So Chemotherapy is really challenging, but um, actually, as we get into my story, that was unfortunately the easier part of it. Um, it's crazy. Oh, just like Michael. Just no, like Michael. Right? Yeah. Never it's crazy because I, I relate to that because yeah. that's how chemotherapy was for me. And then I had radiation mm-hmm. and I thought that was going to be the hardest part, but it wasn't for me and it wasn't for you. I heard your other podcast. So yeah. can you tell us what happened after you were finished chemotherapy? But I just, I have to just comment. Like I have to keep commenting because you keep saying these things that are so wise. And I feel like they I, are so point, wise. I have to point them out because I want to hear your story. But then I have to like pause you for a second because your story is so good. But the whole thing you said about like connection is such a big thing. And I, you know how you were saying you have, even though before you said you have to be selfish before you can be selfless. That is one thing you have to take care of yourself, but you, but also you do like reaching out to other people and that connection does keep you going. Like we've seen that so many people that cut themselves off. It's in in life in general. And that's been one of our things has been like, if you can help someone else, then you do help yourself. And I know that that is your, that is your philosophy. Like that has been a huge thing of us. And I think that is what's saved both of us. And then he ends up connecting with other cancer Yeah, that's why, yeah. that's why I use like TikTok, Cancer Buddy, Instagram, all those apps help me connect to other people. And like, it makes you less alone because you talk to somebody who's been through it and you have a literal friend you make on the internet that knows what you're going through. Because in real life, like out of your community and friends you grew up with, it's a very rare chance you're going to know someone who had a similar story to you with cancer. So that's why the online community is so great. Anyways, yeah, I really want to hear what we happened after to... chemo. I want, <laughs> I want to hear this story. No, well, well, yeah, 100%. But no, Michael, you, you hit the nail on the head. You have to have the support. Same with you, Ashley. Like, you, you have to. And I look at it this way, too. When you get to a point where you want to do something incredible with your life, you know, Ashley, Michael, you guys are, are literally, like, changing the cancer space. And in order to do so, in my opinion, like – you really have to be involved in a community of, of people who are inspired like you, you know, and you two are feeding off of each other, which is absolutely incredible. I, I look it's at it true. this way. You are, you are literally the average of the five people you are around the most. So if you're around people who are negative or people who only want to go glory days or want to go just drinking on the weekends, guess what you're going to gravitate towards drinking on the weekends, talking about high school glory days and not necessarily, you know, doing the inspirational, um, impactful things that you want to do with your life. So you have to surround yourself with either somebody who's already done what you're trying to accomplish in life and try to figure out their pathway towards how they did it. And you can kind of, you know, use that as your motivation and use that as tools to help you or five people just like yourselves who are in this journey together. And just like me and you who can feed off each other and help each other because we're on a, such a similar path of inspiring each other. So I just wanted to say that before we like kind of keep going. But one well, of I most- love it. Love it. Yeah. Yes. And that is something also that everyone can relate to no matter what you're doing. If you're I, I totally agree. Surround yourself by those people that are lifting you up. Yep. Not that you don't want to lift people up too. 
but no, but no, you want to surround that. yourself. <laughs> of course, of course. I love it. Okay. All right. Next no. part. We okay. know this gets complicated. Yeah, the, you two are your stories are so yeah. similar, but yeah. yeah. And I'll give you guys the quick version. We can dive deep into whatever sentence you want. So I know. We'll go there instead of me going into like a <gasps> fifteen minute rant. I'll go in the quick version. You guys say, well, okay, talk about this, this, or this. So. Basically, what okay. happened next was after my chemotherapy, I sit down with my oncologist, and he goes, all right, Matt, we have some good news, and we have some bad news. Great news. Your tumor shrunk from 11 centimeters to 3 centimeters. I'm like, awesome. He's like, your AFP markers are under 100, which is just mind-blowing how well the chemotherapy you were. But he said that the bad news is your tumor is wrapped around what's called your inferior vena cava. Now, your inferior vena cava from my understanding, is basically a central vein that goes from the bottom of your upper body to your heart. To your heart. We're going to have to get a 10 to 12-hour surgery to remove the tumor, to remove the rest of the cancer, and we're going to have to have three to four different surgeons involved. So you're going to ha- have to have like a urologist, you're going to have to have a heart surgeon, you're going to have – I don't remember all of them. There's three or four different surgeons that had to be involved in this process. So it was like the longest two weeks of my life, but I get there. I go into the surgery. Before all this, I was about 185 pounds, you know, healthy, strong. At least I felt like that. And then I lost about 40 pounds throughout chemotherapy. So it was about 145 pounds going into this. Coming out of this, same. Yeah, you lose the weight quick. It it doesn't. Yeah, it it goes real when you, especially when you stop lifting, it goes like in a second. You're, you know. So for me, craziest part. I come out of the surgery. I wake up and I'm like, oh shoot, I can't really move. Like I feel like, I mean, it, it, it was a really tough surgery. And I, I remember finally I get up, they put me on the scale. My whole body was completely swollen. I was close to 200 pounds. So what they did was they cut my left hip open to my right hip, opened me up, did the surgery. And my body basically went to the survival mode and just started swelling. I had my legs were the size of balloons. My stomach was bloated everywhere. And I just remember my my uh, surgeon, my main surgeon coming in and he goes, hey, we have a draining tube. It should drain. The fluid should eventually drain. Within a month, you should be back to the weight that we need you to be at. And then you're on to your recovery. And, you know, he's like, it's going to be a tough recovery, but you should be okay. So a week goes by from the hospital. I get released. Another week goes by. And all of a sudden, not a good way, the draining just stops. Just like one day out of nowhere, just stops out of nowhere. I'm on... They had me on Oxycontin. They had me on Percocets. It, it wasn't even – that was doing absolutely nothing. I get rushed to the ER. They immediately put me into the ambulance, get me to the Cleveland Clinic. And from there, they end up having to drain close to seven liters of fluid out of my stomach. My body went into what's called compartment syndrome where basically my kidney and my liver completely failed on me. I had a cone drilled inside my head to um, relieve any potential brain swelling that was occurring at the time. I had a catheter in my chest and in my neck because they thought I was going to be on dialysis for the rest of my life. And I ended up falling into a two-week non-induced coma. Now, long story short, and we can dive into this more, I ended up being in the ICU for over 40 days. I was in the clinic for um, close to, I think it was 53 days total. And I dropped down from close to 200 pounds to 110 pounds in just a matter of those 53 days, I went into cardiac arrest a week out of my coma. So they went to take out one of the catheters in my neck because I was starting to make a little bit of progress after I got out of my coma, had this 1% chance of an arrhythm heartbeat, had to do eight minutes of CPR on me. I'm I'm sure you guys know like the DeMar Hamlin story and everything. It's kind of like a similar process of how they um, they had to put him under for about a week or so to get his vitals back. That's what they had to do for right. me as well. They had to put me under for a whole week to get my vitals, to get my heart and everything back in rhythm. And then when I got out of that, I had to completely learn to walk and relive my entire life again. And from laying on my bed to taking my first steps again, took about a two-week process with three to four nurses every single day trying to help me through that. And after 53 days, after five surgeries, so I have a massive scar on my stomach. What had happened was it took them four surgeries to remove all the fluid I was actually ready to go home and as probably two or three days before I was ready to go home, my stitches had bursted open out of nowhere. They had to rush me into a fifth major surgery and do what's called an open wound surgery on me. So what they did was they opened me up, had a football sized mesh over my stomach and had to let this, they had to remove all my abdominals and basically just let the mess mesh and my skin naturally heal over my stomach, which took a whole year, which we can talk about as well. But Long story short, after five surgeries, after all those complications and 53 days in the hospital, I was released on 
March 17th of 2017. So I was literally just thinking of the date. I'm like, this has to be like spring of 2017. Okay. It was exactly one year. from. Oh my God. One year after you met Lauren. So it's very special day. And I will tell you this as you know, caregivers, you have my mom who is crazy faith-based, which I'd love to share a story, you know, about that. Um, You had my father who was just like, basically, I'm not even kidding. They thought he he was like a doctor because like he just, he's very good at retaining information and he would always be like double checking things. Then you had Lauren who was like my emotional angel. Like she was, she really was. She was just like everything that I needed to give me the courage to push forward. And um, yeah, I mean, I really don't think that day was a coincidence. I mean, it's St. Patrick's Day. We're also both Irish. So it's just kind of like, a big day for us too. But um, yeah, so I was finally released on that day. And then, um, you know, we can talk more about the recovery process. But if you have any questions about that part, um, it was, it wasn't but- rainbows and butterflies after that. I mean, I was 110 pounds, still really learning to walk again. And it was um, one of the most challenging, of course, times of my entire life. So. so this is my question. I know there's a million, a million questions I can ask. But I'm just going to ask, because I was hospitalized for a long period as well. Yeah. What was it like to it was go? Like, it, was, it was like five months, and he had drains in him. It's so similar. Yeah. Not quite. He Never, Not, never wasn't in a coma. It? Not as like intense. That was large. Oh, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, one thing for me that was really difficult was adjusting to being back home after being hospitalized for so much, for so much time. What was that like for you? Because when you're in the hospital, you have nurses, you have doctors. It's kind of like you're safe. Was it scary for you to go home? Did you have fear that you're going to have to go back to the hospital like the one night? Were you scared? So I actually did go back to the hospital. So um, Many times, I'm sure. No, I know, yes. Yeah, so after that, I, I really went back to the hospital one more major time. And it was okay. because, this is why, so I get released from the hospital and... Um, you know, you probably can relate to this too, Michael. Like when you're at home, you don't have nurses and you don't have doctors constantly like, okay, time to get up and do your physical therapy. Okay, time to eat these foods. Okay, time to like healing, 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 healing. Time to get blood work, all of these things. And I started to have this victim mindset. I started to have this why me mentality again. Like of, I'm, I, I would look in the mirror I'm finally at that point now where I'm home and I'm starting to reality's really starting to kick in now. Like I'm like eight months ago, I didn't even have back pain. Eight like this was an, an eight month process of cancer to then, and I didn't even have back pain at that point. I was literally in the best shape of my entire life. No joke. I was like really probably absolutely in the best shape of my life. And then I look at the mirror now and I'm like a shell of myself. I'm having body image issues. I'm feeling down for myself, and I'm like I don't want to do anything. And no joke, within a week. I'm back in the hospital with a standing heart rate of 150 beats a minute. My blood pressure is like through the roof. My temperature is at 104 degrees and I'm, I'm like starting to dwindle again. So I'm in the hospital for about a week where they're getting my vitals back in check and everything. And finally I get home again and I, I pretty much have a life changing talk with Lauren and that talk came to Matt if, if you don't, if you keep having this victim mindset, if you keep letting your circumstance define who you are, you are probably not going to be here next month. And that was the reality of it. It wasn't just like, you know, when you say sometimes like you hit official rock bottom and it's like life or death experiences of like, if you don't do this, it's a life or death experience. That was me. Like it was literally, I'm not here probably next month or I have to start healing myself. And what I did was I literally just, Here's a cool story is I put how I started recovering was I put one lawn chair in the front of my driveway and one lawn chair kind of close to the middle to the end of my driveway. I'd get my butt up. I'd walk over to that lawn chair. I'd sit down. I'd contemplate life a little bit because I'd be like, how the heck am I going to get back up and go to that that lawn chair again? But I'd do it. And guess what I'd do the next day? I'd push that lawn chair a little bit further. And I'd push it a little bit further. And a little further. Next thing you know, I'm not in the driveway anymore. I'm in the sidewalk. And a little bit further and a little, a little bit further. And one day, about a couple weeks, couple mo- about a month later, I'm like, Dad, don't even bring the damn lawn chair anymore. I'm doing this. <laughs> and I did. I, and I, I'm telling you, it was a total life-changing moment. And what it was, was 
I kept the promises I made to myself. The you want true happiness, true momentum, true confidence in yourself, keep the promises you make to yourself. When you say you're gonna do something today, don't let the circumstances of you aren't good enough, you're worried what other people think of you, or whatever that limiting belief is in your life, take away from you achieving your goal today. And it doesn't have to be something crazy. For me, it was literally getting on that lawn chair, walking and going a little bit further. That's all it was. And the compound effect is what's going to get you to where you want to be in your life. So for me, yes, to answer your question, Michael, I went a little bit on a tangent, but yes, I <laughs> definitely um, went back to the hospital, came back and realized it was a life and death experience throughout that whole thing. You guys just have so much in common. There, there was a moment like that for Michael too. I mean, I should let him talk about it, but it was, it was actually in the hospital that he had his moment of, okay, this sucks. I want to die or whatever. I, I don't want to. And he had his life changing moment of, no, I'm going to get up and walk around the hall with my mom and we're going to make up a rap lyric and whatever it is. Like we had little dumb things like that because that he got stuck with me. But so similar. I don't know if you want to talk on that, Michael, but I, I, you guys have, there's so many moments that you're talking about, but then, you know, it's, it's for everyone. I just totally agree with you. It's for cancer and non-cancer. That's why you're a wonderful coach, because if you're a cancer survivor, if you're a caregiver, if you're just a person trying to attain your goals, it is, it is that mindset of just, okay, let me tackle this one thing. And if you have victim mentality, whether you're a cancer patient or you're the mom of uh, my husband died and now my kid got diagnosed with cancer, what the heck? But if, no, I, I, I love it. I'm going to let you talk. Yeah, I had a rock bottom moment too. And yeah. also one of the things recently that I've had to accept is like my body is different than before. And I'm sure you with all your scars everywhere and what you've been through, your body's not gonna be the same as it was before either. So how does how hard is it to accept that and look at yourself every day in the mirror with those scars and learn to love yourself? Because I know it's been a struggle for me to look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I'm super skinny now and I won't ever have that body I used to have, but I have to learn to love myself. How did you do that? Ooh, that is such a great question. So it, it took me a good year to really um, kind of accept that. You know, accept that this is the body I'm having. And when I realized that, I started to realize that my scar wasn't something that I should be ashamed of or I should be disappointed by or I should be, you know, why me? Instead, I was like, how can I use this to inspire and help other people? When you can yeah. use your challenges, you can use whatever you've gone through to help others because there are so many other people out there that are in a very victim mindset right now where Michael, you, you know, I, I watch your TikToks and I watch, you know, you through social media, you have such a light and such a positive energy, you, you and your mother, you know, and, and I know for a fact that you're changing people's lives that if you didn't have those scars, that if you didn't have that, you know, the, the weight loss and in the body image that you wish you had, but you have now, you wouldn't be able to impact others who are going through a similar circumstance. You know, whenever I'm able to share my scar, share my story, I usually get a couple of people who directly message me and say, wow, thank you for sharing that because I have been struggling with this exact same thing. And I'm like, trust me, I was you not too long ago. But when I realized that this is a way to help and inspire others, that's when you can embrace it instead of become the victim of it. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. That is totally. such a thing. That's such a thing. Okay, I adore Brene Brown. I don't know if you know who she is, but I love her. She talks about vulnerability. She talks about shame as well. And there's a link with shame. And shame, when we're ashamed of something, the minute that you like shed light on it, like shame does not like it when you shed light on it. The minute you open yourself up and it is vulnerability, which takes a lot of courage, but then it makes the, the shame disappears and someone else will relate to you and then it becomes like part of your i don't want to say superpower but of how you're impacting the world which is what you're both doing and which is what i hope i'm doing a little bit too i mean that's definitely our goal and our purpose we always had a purpose i feel but 
you know, you had a purpose. You had a beautiful purpose before this. It wasn't like you were a lost soul. You were helping people. You were a personal trainer. You were doing a lot of good in the world. Michael, too, was on in college, a great kid. I was a teacher. But I think this definitely, like, deepened it, broadened it, you know, it's just incredible the purpose I think that ha that happens because of these painful moments. That's why we say beauty and pain because there's so much beauty in the pain. Love that, yeah, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. But I remember hearing you on another podcast talking about because Michael was saying how long did it take. I remember you hearing saying like it took you time. It took you like a couple of years of recovery because you had all of this happen in a short eight months. But it was so intense. It's not like all of a sudden you were better and okay, now I'm going back to my life. Yeah, it was jam packed in just a short period of time, but a hundred percent, it took me, like I always said, you know, you need to be selfish for yourself. It took me two years to truly heal myself mentally, emotionally, physically. Yeah. And um, when I was finally able to do that, then I realized that, okay, Matt, like, I feel like I've been given a second chance. Michael, maybe you, you feel this way too, but like I've been given a second chance of like, Okay, there's yes, like, yeah. for me like my like I really use my faith for a lot of this, so I really believe that like okay, God, what is this new purpose that you have for me? When you come out of the the craziness, the storm, and you finally see the light, you're able to see so much because the lessons you learned from that storm, you're able to use all those lessons to then say, okay, there is something a huge, way bigger picture for me somewhere down the road and you're not going to know right away you know if we all just knew right away what it was going to be you know life wouldn't be that challenging but for us it's like well, what do we do next and a lot of it is where do i go next after this because trust me i'm not just going right back to my normal job doing my normal things every day like i knew Definitely. that um there's a bigger path and a bigger purpose for me and the only way i was able to do that was what we kind of talked about before was I started watching motivational YouTube videos. This is just what I did. I just was like motivated. And I said, I have no idea what I want to do, but I started watching them. And I came across this guy named Ed Milet. And he has this podcast and it was called Broke the 400 Million. And I was like, whoa, okay. This just intrigues me, whatever. Watch the podcast. Nothing about money. Had nothing to do about money. Had everything to do about all of the challenges, all the struggles he did. From being broke, not even be able to turn on his water and blah, 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 all these things to where he is today. And I was like, wow, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to be able to use my story to inspire others so that I can do something incredible with my life. And that is when I started to surround myself with the right people that were in a similar path and a similar direction as me. So that that's kind of been my whole path of healing. And it takes time. I want to know everybody, I want everyone to know, don't ever compare yourself to anybody else compare yourself to what journey you're on because you all have a different timeline you could literally be 10 years down the road not feeling like you are you know where you want to be and then all of a sudden in one year you're 10 times further than you ever thought you could imagine just remember that it takes time and it's a snowball effect but sometimes it's a lot of grinding dirt going through challenging moments lessons that need to be you know taught and then all of a sudden it's this rocket ship of just like success and being able to help others, but you have to be patient. You can never give up on yourself. I think that's the biggest thing is too many people are willing to quit right before they're about to hit their success. So I want to let people know, don't quit right before you're about to hit your success. You are so close. I can guarantee it. You are so close. And those lessons are going to come into play when you, when you need them the most. Can you guys tell that this man is a coach? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell, but you know, that's, you're, you're an I amazing coach. You're everything great. you say, my mom and I, we relate, you know, things yes. for us now, like they're just starting to go so well. We're having so many people like you on our podcast. We're doing things that we talked about while we were in the hospital and we were there for five straight months. And now we're at home still going to treatment twice a week, every other week in the hospital every week for some appointment, for some infusion, for this, whatever. But we're doing what you're talking about and we could have given up and stopped doing this but we decided to keep going and it's really changed us and and i also love what you said about there like that bigger picture that bigger purpose because a lot of times and i have said this before but i think it's definitely worth saying again is sometimes you go through a struggle and you think okay i i i'm going to get through this and then i'll be go back to what i could do before but no why would you want to do that? You went through this struggle. Of course you went through it because you're going to be 
not someone else, but hopefully someone deeper and different. Like, I don't want him to go back to the same athletic surfer, amazing guy that he was before. He's someone different now with a different, a di different, deeper purpose, which is, you know, like you. And I think if you go through something, you should evolve and you should change. And, you know, that's, I see you nodding. You're like, yeah, <laughs> we want to be changed. Like there's a bigger picture. I would say this, you, you know, enjoy it i go back and i do I, you know i do the things i still love of when before cancer but i i'm able to amplify yes like you know you can right. amplify what you had already learned like i use now my health and fitness background but i use it in a different way that i never in a million years thought i'd be able to use it so michael you for like surfing or something that is passionate for you you can now use that in such a unique way that's what i love about every single person you know you don't have to go through cancer whatever journey you're on your unique story is for somebody that needs to hear your message needs to hear what you're going through i promise you that you have a unique story i don't care what you've been through or where you're at in your life your unique story is so powerful to somebody out there that needs to hear your message so do not be afraid you don't have to go on podcasts and, and make tiktoks and all this crazy stuff i mean it's no, great of course not way do it. but go do it join a local community or just be the best mother or be the best father you can possibly be whatever it is that is inspiring you be the best possible version of yourself that's what i would say Yes. And I think also what you said about not comparing yourself, that goes for everyone that goes for cancer patients. We've had to talk a lot about that. We know people going through similar things. And Michael's like, gosh, they didn't get all the same side effects that I got, or they haven't gotten all these after complications. But that's, you know, you can't compare yourself. And he's very good about understanding that. But we've had our moments, of course. I mean, I've had my moments like, gosh, my friends are all having empty nest syndrome now. And, you know, and we're we're still together a lot but i'm I'm down with that i love it <laughs> believe me i wouldn't want to change it i love it because we have a different purpose so um yeah i think that was another really good one it's amazing to see how well you guys are together like i'll tell you this like i don't ever really see that with a son and a mother very very rarely and you know i think you know obviously what you guys are going through is it may have grown closer but to see how well you guys are and, and how much you guys um you know lean off of one another is is truly incredible i, I will just say that it, it really inspires me too to want to have an even deeper relationship with my mother so it's it's very inspiring in, in that aspect thank, thank you. you thank you i was listening to a podcast this morning jay shetty do you know who jay shetty is oh i love jay shetty yeah i i love him too and they were talking about health and connections and i can't remember the doctor he was interviewing i have to find his name but talking about when they were researching as people age and people going through disease and yeah. those that had strong connections with other people even though we know that it sounds logical but the people that had the strong connections and love and support of course they heal faster get sick less so you know i always want to also stress like Michael was an athlete. He was a healthy human being, ate healthy food. He was not eating sugar. He was not, you know, drinking. He wasn't doing crazy things and he got cancer. Same with you. You were a healthy guy before the same. We talked about Chuck, our friend Chuck. He told me he was juicing, doing all of these things. And he ended up with stage four prostate cancer. So it's not, that. We, of course, you want to try to be healthy, not to say don't be healthy, but yeah. you still got cancer. But I think the point is, look where you are now. I think the being healthy has helped you. And you didn't get cancer because you weren't healthy. You were already healthy. Cancer just happened. But the way you dealt with it after and and through it, you know, the fact that you were so strong and you could do all that strong chemo that was the same with Michael. They pushed such an aggressive chemo on him for the same reasons as you because he was young and healthy. And it saved him, you know. Yeah, and I, one thing I learned is cancer doesn't discriminate. It, it, it can no. help you an infant stage all the way up to you know the elderly and i think for us you know and i'm not trying to like be like oh we don't get you know any attention or anything but i really do believe that us young adults we're the last that people ever think about truly the last i mean because i mean still that's people, true yeah you don't think that you have a lot of attention towards children you have a lot of attention just towards just you generally yeah. older people because that's what where they think it's more prevalent but us in our 20s is not something that's talked about enough, in my opinion. And I think for us to be able to now bring, you know, awareness to that and, and really shed light on it um, is so, so important. I, I really do believe it doesn't. It doesn't discriminate no matter who you are, how healthy you are. 
So it's very important to bring awareness, especially at our age. Definitely. Yeah, it doesn't matter how rich or famous you are, either. (laughs) That is... You know, it's anybody. It's crazy. But it is true for your community. For Literally this morning, Mike was on the phone with another AYA, an adolescent young adult, that went through cancer and they were having this conversation how there's not a lot of focus on on that age group in your 20s of course so we're trying to bring awareness he's trying to bring awareness too because yeah. it can it can hit anyone i'm wow. trying to think we have so many things so we talked about so many things but i want to ask you you have so many messages do you have like a biggest message yeah like if if you yeah i figured you would yeah, well, it's more okay. So I, ha- I, I'll give two things. But like, number one is I, I have an acronym that I absolutely love using, and it's from a guy named Jim Quick. Um, he, um, it, it's called Hope, and the acronym right. is Help One Person Every Day. And oh, I premise, love that. So the whole premise of it is, to me at least, everyone has their own way of looking at it. Is don't ever underestimate the power of inspiring and helping one person a day because by us giving knowledge to somebody today they will take the knowledge we were able to give them and help two three four five other people think about it this exponential yes and we've helped 10 people we actually subconsciously probably helped hundreds of people but then we have 100 people we probably help thousands of people around the world so hope help one person every day that is like a, a super powerful acronym that I love to use and has really helped me kind of through, um, you know, d- difficult days because I said, okay, did I help one person today? Because that is my opinion. You want true happiness in life. It's being able to use something that's meaningful to you and change somebody else's life. That is where I feel like it. If you, like I said in the beginning too, if you only focus on yourself, you, it's going to be very hard to find true happiness. You need to be able to use the lessons and everything you've went through your experiences to help change somebody's life and in some way or form, like I said, whether it's a father, a mother, or you want to go in a bigger route like we're doing. So, yeah. When we started the podcast, literally what we said was, okay, there's all these people following on TikTok, on Instagram. We started the podcast. We're like, well, maybe only one person will listen and that's okay. We'd be like, that's okay because we'll touch one person and, that's literally, oh my gosh, I love this acronym so much. I think I'm going to adopt you. But you already have a mom. No, hmm. no. We'll be, uh, we'll, be, we'll be best friends. We'll be like a second family. We'll be, okay, we'll, we'll be like, sec- we'll be very close families. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so it's, that's an inspiring thing for me. That is, I love that. And literally, it's on my refrigerator. It, it does say the best way to help yourself is to help others. But I really like this help one person every day because it's kind of what you were saying earlier. Just did I do one thing today? Or did I, when you go to bed at night, I think that's, I think that's going to be my new practice. Like I meditate at night, but I think my new practice is going to be lay in bed and think, okay, who is the one person I touched today? Hopefully more, but if there's one, I think that's a beautiful practice. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I um, guess one other thing I could say is, uh, it, it's kind of, I mean, it, it, you probably heard this. I know one. you said you have two. You yeah, said you I, had two. So I'll, I'll also say, and I truly do believe this, um, you're one decision away from changing your, completely changing your life. And I really, and you may have heard that already, but like, it's so true that all it yeah. takes is really like 30 seconds of insanely amount of just pure courage to do something that you probably have been holding off for months, like that post or that talk that you wanted to do or reaching out to that one person or whatever it is, just having insane amount of courage for like 30 seconds of saying, I'm going to do this and you just do it with while taking what's called imperfect action, meaning you're going to take action, but no, you may fail along the way and be okay with it because you know there's going to be a val- valuable lesson you know, along that way. That is the power of your one decision away from completely change your life. So I want to let people know that you are, it's not a million different things. It may just be that one thing. I love it. We could totally agree with that. Oh my gosh. This has been amazing. I'm trying to think, do you want to talk about your Facebook group? Yeah. I don't know if you want to bring it up. Of course. Before we, before we, before we end this. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, it's been incredible. You know, you, you just never know where life's going to take you. And about a year and a half, two years ago now, 
I it took first of all, it took me four months even have the courage to do this. Once again, one decision away. One decision. But you made the decision. It took time and that's okay. Four months of me being like, Are people gonna listen to my message? Do people even care? Yeah. Is this there's already plenty of Facebook groups out there that do this stuff, blah blah. But I said, I have my own uniqueness. And I had to have yeah. other people give me finally just give me the courage to do it. And I did the Facebook group. Um, you know, first, first week we had maybe 20, 25 people in the group, but I put every day I'm posting, I'm like, I'm in this group. I'm putting all my time and attention. I want to change these people's lives. And then I have a, an assistant. She was helping me out too. And we just start growing, and growing and growing. And today we have over 6,000 members. It's called wow. cancer patient slash survivor taking back your life from cancer. It's all about cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. It's everybody who's gone through cancer. And the whole premise of this is just a family to help inspire one of another, to help each other through whatever they're going through. You have a question, we're here to answer it. You just need some inspiration. You need some love throughout that day. You need to just vent. We're in that group together. And that's what it is. Because I don't think that enough people talk about the mental and emotional aspect. Because, you know, you're going yeah. through treatments. We have all these appointments. Sometimes you just need a family that can relate and that can help you in some way or possible. So that is my group. Um, it's it's been a life-changing group just because of the connections and the um, people that, you know, I've been able to help along them. So. And you're, you're just such we a... We love it. Yes, we love it. You're such an inspiring human and you're... You I just, love that you're willing to do so much just to help other people, like, genuinely from the heart. That's, it's very rare to find. That's just it's so amazing. I, I love it. It's so inspiring to me. So thank you for doing what you do. You're, you're beautiful. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you for this. Oh I, I'm you. telling you, when you when you don't go in giving with an expectation of something in return, you will get tenfold back. Always remember that. When you go in giving without expecting anything in return, you will always get tenfold back from when you expect something in return. So just remember that. And that yes. is exactly what you are doing as well. So I, I appreciate that. Well, we barely know you, but I love you. That's all I'm going to say. I feel so lucky that we're talking to you. Literally feel like talking to a friend. Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, my gosh. So this is a goodbye from us. We love yes, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. And we'll talk soon. Mwah. Thank you. Thank you.